Welcome to Rhythm and Pixels, the video game music podcast. This is episode 10-3, and we are your hosts. My name is Rob Nichols. And I'm Pernell. And every week we get together, we listen to great video game music from all generations and all consoles, and we enjoy it, we appreciate it, and we present it to you in an MP3 format. In hopes that you enjoy it, because for every song you don't like... Well, let's just say bad things happen as far as lifespans. <laughs> for, for every uh, song you don't like that um, I receive, like, burns on my back. Is this like a weird, like, omen situation? Nah, uh, just more like life essence being siphoned out for every dislikes <laughs> tune. It's a very odd deal that's taking place here. Yeah, I hope you like the show because the podcast dementors are right behind us. Mm-hmm. It's bad news. It's bad, bad news. Bad. All those gray hairs, I'm attributing it to them. If that's not the case, I'm going to say it, and no one's going to let me. De- I'm not denying it. I like so that. I'm, I'm getting gray hairs because of podcasting. That's that's what I like. There it is. That's <laughs> the only thing that makes sense. It's the only thing that computes here. It's the only. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm getting gray hairs. I started doing a podcast, and burp, burp, burp. that's it. Perfect. That's what it is. Causation. If you want to stay young, don't get in the podcasting business. But if you want to stay young, continue to enjoy listening to them. <laughs> That's part of the awesomeness that is the podcast scene, I guess. Yeah. That's it. Um, do you have anything you want to say at the top of the show? Anything you want to, anything you want our listeners to know? I don't know. Like <laughs> life happenings, I guess. I don't know. Um, I am reviewing a cool game that I surprisingly can't even say right now okay yeah i like at the beginning of the shows when you like um you like to talk about like what you're reviewing or what you're playing yeah there's been a couple odd games where i review like the switch has a lot of really just wonky tonk like little puzzle games of sorts that i've been reviewing but they're also they're actually kind of fun sometimes like pixel links dx which is really kind of crackish how awesome and fun that is Mm. and again there's that one game i'm reviewing where i was actually going to buy it but now i don't have to because i'm reviewing it (laughs) and i'm looking forward to doing the review for it at the end of the month officially all right Um, and i guess you'll let us know what that is at the time yep i'm looking forward to it and then aside from that i'm dealing with the the eternal gamer man's quandary of trying to decide what to do with my gaming product my gaming product and stuff around the home it's it's a complicated whirly gig of a mess and yeah. I'm, it's like you don't want to throw anything out but also you're like you don't want to put in the closet <laughs> but you gotta do something well we were playing we were playing board games at your place last week and i have been i, I honestly i have been thinking about organizing your living room like almost every night because video games are everywhere it's well yeah well you have like stuff and you have such you have so many like cool things but they're not presented in a like they're not displayed in in that way and i want to like all i want to do is go in there and make like, it pop and just make everything sparkle 
Well, It'll take like a full weekend. That's <laughs> how much stuff I've got. So like, yeah, I'm not but, trying to bust on you for like being messy or anything. Because I mean, oh, no, no, we're all messy. Like it's gonna happen. Yeah, the thing about it's like to me, it's, to me, it's not yeah. even so much about being messy. It's just having a lot of stuff without this, without a right home. Yeah, messy would be like I have like orange peels lying on the floor and like ants crawling on top of like half-eaten bagels, and that'll never be me. Okay, good. But you <laughs> will come into my house and see like. A stack of the last 10 PS4 games I purchased in anticipation of playing. Why don't you play those, Pernell? Because apathy set in and I just watched Rick and Morty instead. Yeah, I'm never going to be like, hey, you know, why haven't you played those games? I'll just be like, hey, why aren't those games on the on the shelf? Because I anticipate <laughs> playing them. Why haven't you played them? Because I'm watching Rick and Morty. Because when you want to play the game, you take it off the shelf. No! It's got to be the ready. I'd, that's the... We got to see that. Don't no more complaining from you if that's your mindset. But I have to change. See, see people, if you don't have that problem, count your blessings. Because let me mm. tell you. Okay, um, so I sent you an article. This is gonna run long. So I sent you an article on Life Hack, Life Hacker, which I, I love. Life Hacker. I mean, it's that's kind of like a, a, a joke term at this point. But the, the website LifeHacker.com, I, I love, and this was all about organizing your nerd geeky stuff into a way that looked great in your house. And one of the suggestions was if you have a lot of DVDs and a lot of games to get rid of all of your cases and then put the discs into a binder. Now, about four or five years ago, I did that. Mm -hmm. I have zero regrets for doing that to my DVDs. I have... A hundred percent regret to the games. No, not just any games. I have... I, I am admitting this. I've never. I threw out. I threw out and recycled all of my Dreamcast cases, and for my entire collection. Yeah, it's. it's I mean, honestly. I've I've actually been in personal denial about that. I was. I thought maybe I had boxed them up somewhere at my mom's when I was moving. I thought I was boxed up at my in-laws. It's not there. No, I I got crazy and I threw them all out. And I'm so upset because I had Third Strike. I had Choo Choo Rocket. I had Marvel Capcom. I had Capcom SNK. I'm nodding my head over you. Oh my goodness. I had Power Stone. I had so many classics. I have the discs now and i'm like i don't play them i should sell them they're not worth anything yep now they're just dis in a binder now i just have my dreamcast fight stick on the wall just looking at me i dust it every week so interesting (laughs) for like for the folks who like do ever comment or anything like that on like the facebook or twitter or anything like that Asia, we would definitely like your opinions on this because this is a legitimate question that came up after rob sent me that article how do you feel about the idea of discarding all of your game cases for the purpose of lack of space clutter? So yes. we're talking your Game Boy games, your DS games. Well, not Game Boy games, but your DS games, your 3DS games, yeah. PS2, any CD game, and a binder. Yeah, yeah. So I you know, I would suggest to you the binder is an excellent idea, but don't throw out the cases. Oh, I've done that. That's what I did with my PlayStation 1 stuff. There you go. But then there's to an extent it only goes so far because yeah. you kind of like to be able to walk into a room and see what you got too. No, I don't know. Absolutely. And like your Saturn collection is awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I love it. So, I like going in there and looking at all of them and being like, wow. Now, if we can just find some single individuals who also like looking at those things, <laughs> where the hell the heck knows? But 
Anyway, I, I, we've been rambling. I appreciate them. Um, so, uh, 10-3, we were uh, chatting about what topics are we doing this week? And you you brought them all back up. Like, we already talked about this, Rob. <laughs> we did. And, like, funny enough, <laughs> the topic that we chose this week, I had come up with it weeks ago and then completely forgot it existed. Yeah. And then a listener named David Quinn reached out and, re- and suggested the idea and, poof, sparked like a light. And it's such a great idea. We decided to do Metroid-related topic or tracks, and you know, celebration of the fact that Metroid: Samus Returns will have dropped by the time you're listening to this episode. That is right. Now, uh, so Samus Returns, Samus Returns to something Who to, to whatever she was going to be doing. <laughs> she Metroid Two, that. Metroid Two for the Game Boy was called Return of Samus. Yep. So there's a Samus Returns. Yep. Because some, diff, guy, diff. some guy at Nintendo thought that was an awesome idea. This just transposed the words. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, 10-3, why don't you start us off? Okay. And then we'll talk about more Metroid-related topics. We'll okay. see, because it'll be interesting to see how we even talk about Metroid, because, well, we'll get to that in a minute, too. Well, I don't know. I mean, we, can but, probably, we can just talk about, you know, our life. You know, our life with Samus. Uh, <laughs> so the track yes. of choice for the very first track of the episode will be from Metroid 2, Return of Samus. Excellent. And the track title is Ancient Chozo Ruins, and it's composed mm-hmm. by Ryoji Yoshitomi. A new name, actually, for the show. It is, yeah. listening to Ancient Chozo Ruins from the game Metroid 2 Return of Samus, a.k.a. the game I got with Kool-Aid points, composed by oh, Ryoji Yoshitomi. Love those stories, man. That's awesome. Yoshi in this game, man. I don't even remember how many packs of Kool-Aid I had to drink for it, but it was <laughs> worth it because this game was spectacular in my eyes. And for the fact that it was on a Game Boy compared to the NES at the yeah. time, and it was, to me, light years better than the NES game, it spoke volumes to me. And it speaks volumes to the listener, too, as far as like, you know, just how much how great an, this game is. It was an early Game Boy game, too, wasn't it? Um, I guess you could say it was early, because Game Boy was around like 88-89, more give or take. And this came out on August 26, 1991. So, fairly early, I would say. Um, and as a result, the game, I would say they did some work with making it stand out, because the environment's... I don't think they were really all that different 
there were some differences between them, but nothing that really stood up. Like maybe two or three different basic styles that was used repeatedly. Okay. And I mean, they only have like it was limited limited palette to begin with. Yeah, just yeah. different shades of gray, basically, <laughs> sure, or yeah, spinach yeah. green. But um, so the game was essentially a sequel to Metroid. And you were spending your time on the planet SR388, which is the Metroid home planet, and your goal was to wipe the species out. So most of the game had, you know, environmental-esque music where it was like just a beep, 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 beep. Or well, the, bleep, bleep, bleep. the first game was like that, too. It was very... Oh, no, the first game had music, music. Well, it had like... music, music, but a lot of it was, was very, like... Very atonal and very uh, very atmospheric. Also, like this this game too also had a lot of that. Yeah, it was a yeah. heavy dose of like like just sounds, like just not music yeah. so much as sounds. So like there's a melody here, but it's it's very minor and it's very off. Yeah, but that's what's awesome about this track because you'd be in an total environment where all the sound is just a bunch of like bleeps and bloops, like just like random audible sounds. And then you'd enter a door, and then this music would start. <laughs> and what this typically meant for the game, more or less, was that you were in the presence of getting a new upgrade for Samus. Oh. So you had to find your way through the labyrinth that you walked into, but there was a reward to find. So it was kind of, it kind of drove you. When Not you like heard a, it, you were excited. So it was like a little cue. It was like, it wasn't just the normal stuff going on. Yeah, you were in a place that likely had a prize. So yeah, you searched it out. That's interesting um, how... They could still create this kind of atmospheric, unsettling music, but with just the PSG sounds. Oh, they did a fantastic job. It's like because for me, this is easily one of my favorite Metroid tracks ever done, really? and it is also one of the most minimal <laughs> of the Metroid tracks out there. Well, so I'm gonna save my favorite one for later. Intriguing. Which is also from this game. Ah. But now a lot of the other Metroid games. Every game since this one, just about every well since uh, Super Metroid, is just very atmospheric, incidental, like just sound effects, you know. And I'm just like, I'm not super into that. It's not not super memorable. Yeah, they did, they kind of took a step back with uh, Zero Mission and Metroid Fusion to kind of go back to capturing this style of play. But the series jumped towards the Prime style of gameplay, mm -hmm. which was more of the just like. You know, environmental aural, aural sounds. Yeah. So and it's, it's not to say that it's bad. It's just it's not something that I'm usually gravitating towards. Like, I usually like something that's a little different, maybe a little funky or a little more rhythmic. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of this, there's not a whole lot of rhythm. But I wanted to pick something that was still different, but I still found something interesting about. So this is from Metroid Fusion okay. for the Game Boy Advance, which is not something I have any experience with. Um, this is called Facing a Huge Reaction. This is composed by Minako Hamano and Akira Fujiwara for the Game Boy Advance.
this is facing a huge reaction from the game Metroid Fusion for the Game Boy Advance, composed by Minako Hamano and Akira Fujiwara. So this is more, a little bit more on the cinematic side of things, definitely more melodic than the rest of the soundtrack. We were just talking about how it's like a lot of atmospheric sounds and less on the melody. Yeah, Metroid Fusion was an interesting game in the series, which is why I'm kind of like, I remember this track, but not so much about the rest of the game. So is this game a 2D? Yeah, it's weird. What has, so what happened was Metroid, well, as we all know, Metroid in its infancy was mainly a game about 2D world exploration. In fact, it was so defining in the way you explored the world that it pretty much is a half of a name that's devoted to an entire genre of games considered Metroidvania games that people themselves have dubbed them. So, with that understanding in mind, being exploration with little hand-holding and just finding items and powering up, Metroid had the first game, which was released in 1986, then the second game came out in 1991, then we had Super Metroid, which came out in March 19th, 1994, and then a lot of nothing happened until November 18th, 2002. So we're talking pretty much a long freaking time. We're talking almost almost 10 years. We got Metroid Fusion, and people were so excited to get to revisit the, yeah. the series that they all loved so much that right. had many Castlevania games spawned. And what happened? It became an insanely hand, uh, a very much easy, like, you know, simplified version of what they came to like. It was a lot of hand-holding involved. Oh. Um, they decided this is one of the first games where he was like, hey, we got to have story elements in each area. So you have like a computer telling Samus where to go and what to do. Oh, and I mean, I guess that makes sense. Like, a lot of these exploration games have become kind of uh, a little confusing about remembering where to go or what, why things were important. So I could see how that could be helpful. But a lot of the fun of these metroidvania style games is the exp is the exploration of being like am i going the right direction i don't know i'm just gonna trust myself and just see how far i can get before i die and i, I love stuff like that but that's the thing though it can be done well and then there's this yes and what i mean by that is you can have a game that says okay your next goal is bring up the big map and they just have like a random block in the map flashing right. so you don't know how to get there you just know you're going in that general direction yes but what this game did was not only did it do the flashing block, but it made everything almost corridor-esque in the sense that you were kind of just moving along a series of straight lines mm. to get to the next goal. So Yeah, I can see how that could be irritating for the average Metroid fan. However, I will say this, though. If you're able to get past that aspect of the game, which to me is what made this a little lower on the Metroid totem pole, you still have a fun game there because the game is not boring and it's not stupid. It's just it was a letdown at the time because you came in expecting one style of gameplay and you got something different. Yeah. Um, but this track, if I recall correctly, was like, a main a theme for like the main hub area where like we were traveling between different sectors or locating different sectors of the map so this is like to me the most defining track in metroid fusion from recollection as far as that goes but um so this was my track what's what's your next track all right so i just went my first track was from metroid 2 sure and i figured i'll just tick down the pike here with my next one and that will be from the game super metroid yes. and the track is just related to it's the underwater area from super metroid 
and it is composed by Kenji Yamamoto and Minato Hamano. listening to the underwater area from the game super metroid composed by minako hamano i really like this track now this track if i recall plays on the meridia section which is the water environment of super metroid uh fun fact i have not played super metroid since 1994 i was gonna say that makes both oh i just <laughs> haven't played it at all whop, whop. it's on my list actually gotta get on it like i need to i keep telling myself i'm going to get back to it because for all the metroid games i've played i still genuinely feel like super metroid is not only my favorite metroid game but it is also the most series defining metroid that's, game that's what i'm hearing it's like i didn't grow up with a super nintendo mm-hmm. like i've never owned a super nintendo so like i was i had a genesis and then that was it for a long time so I never got a chance to play a lot of these like super classic Super Nintendo games that everyone loved, like the um, the Zelda that came out and the Final Fantasies I didn't play for a long time. Chrono Trigger I didn't play until the PlayStation re-release. So I'm I should really like get, get an emulator and sit down and just play this game. Yeah, you liked Axiom Verge, and as you know, Axiom yeah. <laughs> Verge was made as kind of a love letter I was with say, their Ax- own take on Axiom it. Axiom Verge, Metroid. yeah, is like my favorite Metroid game. 
So like, was, that's how it felt. And I will also say, Super Metroid, in, in aside from introducing like more well-themed environments, where I mean, don't get me wrong, the original Metroid had you know Norfair and Brenstar, but they weren't as well-themed as the environments in Super Metroid are. You mean which also includes Brenstar and Norfair? By themed, you mean scored, or do you, th- you mean by like, like environment? Environment, wasn't. like you have the underwater environment, you have the fire environment, you have the mechanical environment, and you know, stuff like that. Um, but in addition to that, I like the graphic style of Super Metroid. I like the fact that it introduced more bosses than the original Metroid had. And it introduced my second favorite power-up in the series, which was the speed boost. So you eventually start running, and you run, and you get faster. You start dashing. Oh, I've seen that, yeah. And you can run, and you charge up your dash. You can duck and jump, and you launch up into the sky. And I also like the fact that it taught you how to do things in the game. But it didn't teach you by having an AI say, hey, by the way, you know you can wall jump by hitting the button? Instead, while you were running around, you'd occasionally see like wildlife from the planet, like friendly creatures just doing their own thing. And they're doing things that you can also do. Oh, that's cool. Like you'll see a bird bouncing off the walls and flipping. Like, How the heck did the bird do that? Can I do that? Yep, I can. And you're like, oh my God, I can flip on walls. Thank you, Mr. Birdman. And um, I didn't know that. It's just, the game is just genuinely well put together. And I I used to rent it because, again, back then I didn't have a lot of money. So a lot of my games came from the rentals. Mm. And I or, then purchased it. Oh, yeah, Kool-Aid. There you go. <laughs> Kool-Aid, rentals, friends, like, like my uncle rather passing games down to me, stuff yeah, like that. yeah. yeah. So I didn't get this game back into my possession until like 2006 or seven at like a Philly Classic, and the battery in the cart was dead, so I couldn't even save my progress. Ooh. So I wasn't playing on an emulator at the time. I was like, I'm going to play it on my cart because I own the cart, but I never ended up replacing the battery till like, could you not, 2015? So <laughs> I had the game ready to play. I have a Retron and an old school Super Nintendo. We just have to actually sit down and experience Super Metroid for the first time in a long time. I think I'm going to go on a limb here and say if we do a like a live stream or like a YouTube playthrough, mm-hmm. we should play that game together. We should experience that game together. I think we'd really enjoy that. That'd be fun. That'd yeah. definitely be a fun idea. And then I can yell at you when you miss a power. Like, Get the power up! What are you oh, doing? Oh, oh, the controller's going to be in my hand? <laughs> oh, good point. I don't know. I, I might not be able to relinquish that power. I'm okay, but... <laughs> I'm much better at judging you. Oh, sounds like Matt right there. <laughs> Purnell, you're missing things. You're screwing up. Yeah, I'll All right. figure it out. So I'm going to jump into uh, my next track. I'm going to pick my Super Metroid track as well. So the, the game was composed by the team of Kenji Yamamoto and Minako Hamano. So this track we're listening to right now was Minako Hamano. And the track we're going to listen to now, which is called Brinstar overgrown with vegetation is Kenji Yamamoto for Super Metroid for the Super Nintendo let's super listen to it (laughs) mega great
This is Brinstar Overgrown with Vegetation for Super Metroid for the Super Nintendo, composed by Kenji Yamamoto. And so, I mean, yeah, I, I was looking for more rhythmic tracks, and then I heard the bass on this, the slap bass. It's really interesting. Yeah, because what you ended up finding was the intro to, like, a cop drama yeah samus aaron <laughs> it does sound like a like a 90s like synth wave like yeah oh, i like that because honestly miami vice style it just sounds like i could picture like samus and a ship cruising like downtown like sr detroit <laughs> and you know like seeing like metroid in the corners like <laughs> doing awesome. up to no good and space pirates doing like you know tossing behind like contraband deals in dark alleys it's another day on the planet i love it it's like uh samus uh vice unit <laughs> exactly this is a very frustrating time of year for for you know for bounty hunters yeah, you see busting metroids busting johns <laughs> space pirates are especially active this time of year yeah. you know it's you know it's plumbus week here and uh, unfortunately, during that time, things get a little rowdy as the space pirates need to increase their earnings to get into the black. Right, uh, right. They're constantly moving drugs from Brinstar to uh, Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C.? <laughs> I'm just picturing uh, My like, mind was like, all right, think of major American cities. <laughs> I'm just laughing at the thought of, like, a guy, a, a group of pirates on a distant galactic <laughs> planet. Not, not... Location on the planet, the actual planet, yeah. saying, "We got to get this <laughs> contraband to Earth, Washington D.C. Yeah, right now." Yeah, I don't know what you think is so strange, Brunel, but it seems the safest place to produce drugs is off-world. That is well, that is true. <laughs> I mean, and I'll be blunt. If I, if heaven forbid, we come, I came across a drug vendor. Who actually has such an operation? I'd be too busy being insanely impressed to be appalled at the actions themselves. I'm the Pablo Escobar of Super Metroid. <laughs> there you go. It's like, what was your operation like? Well, you see, we launched off-site rockets to a distant planet. Once there, we had, you know, we had operate. We had actual people who re who resided there, who produced the goods and launched them back to us. They had to be very consistent, though, because the time it takes to actually get rockets to and fro is about two years. And as a result, we have to have a constant flow because once it breaks, we can't really estimate how long it takes to resume production. So there you go. 
I don't know. Anyway, I think it's a great idea for a show. I want to watch it I like now. it. I don't know why <laughs> thoughts happen that way, but I also am glad that they do. Right. Yeah. It's very strange. Very, very strange. This, this track is super different from the rest of the soundtrack. Yeah, this is. I think this is the track for the for the very first area of the gate, too. Okay. If I recall. Though I don't so, think I asked you. You said you haven't played much of the, of the Metroid games, but I'm assuming you've played enough. I played a bit of the first one, and I swear I've played the Game Boy one. Do you have a favorite power-up? Um, I know you can turn into a ball, and I know you have a missile, and I know that you can poop bombs as You can't do that. That's all I know. And the technology behind that is so complicated and confusing. Yeah, I'm going to say I think it's cool you can become a ball, but I think it's because it it's another way to open up new areas in a game. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, but like, I think that's really interesting. I think that's really forward-thinking for the NES. And the Morph Ball... Yeah, Morph, morph they, Ball, that's what it's called. That's the Morph Ball. Not, not the Poop Ball. Well, some people I'm sure call it the Poop Ball. <laughs> <laughs> but the morph ball. Well, so what's your favorite then? I would think, like I said, I mentioned earlier the speed booster, but my overall favorite power-up in the series is honestly the space jump. Space Especially jump. if you can, if you, once you get the screw attack and space jump combo. That's just broken. So what is it? So when you start the game, you have a basic hop, and then you later get the morph ball, which is how you traverse the environment primarily. Okay, so the, but the basic hop is like the first one, right? Where you can kind of like jump yeah, really long jump. and floaty, right? Yeah, long floaty jumps. Yeah. Then you get the high jump boots, which allows you to jump extremely high. Okay. And you still have the floatiness. But then in the second game, they introduce the space jump, which is literally an infinite jump. <laughs> like you can jump forever. Like, like you just hold it down and just keep going. Oh, no, 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 no. If it was holding it down, that would just be kind of bland. You have to actually time every space jump. So you so, press the button and it's just gonna go. Jump, wiggle, 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 raise and fall, wiggle, 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 raise and fall, wiggle, 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 wiggle. I should say not raise and fall, ascend and descend. So you actually are like literally jumping over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And you can time it in a way where if you're like good at mashing at a perfect time, you just like hop, 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 hop. Oh. And there are environments in the game towards the end where they tend for you to use that broken <laughs> power up and you're just like hopping into space. So it's not like finding an, like floating islands. So it's not an extended jump. It's, it's a forever jump. It's like a, it's like a series of infinite jumps. Yes. Oh, that's it is so, so awesome. That's a weird power up. But they put it to work. It works <laughs> because they give you environments where they intend for you to jump in the open space, and there are like things floating out there that can screw you up if your timing is bad. Because if you get hit, you fall. That reminds me of like the space level in uh, Ducktales. You know, like where you, you can like you can go off on the sides, and there's like hidden like power, hidden sort of like power ups on the sides, but you have to jump off with the bad guys. Oh yeah, the Moonies. The Moon the Moonites. I just call them Moonies, like the <laughs> money items there, the diamonds. Like, but you have to hop off like the octopus monsters. Yeah, octopus monsters or squid. I'm not sure what they are. Maybe I think. Squid. Uh, well, you know, squids are pretty bad. Well, they're aliens, so we should just we shouldn't even think about. It. If anybody's going to come at us, I'm like, you know, you eat both of you them. You meant octopi. Like, no, we did not mean octopi. If we meant you, alien tentacle beast. Did you ever? Did you see that movie with Amy Adams where she talked to um, aliens? I don't know who Amy Adams is. It's called Arrival. I've never seen them. That's no so, surprise, though. So they're 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 um they're seven tentacled monsters not monsters but aliens and they try to communicate to the humans squishy slappy but, but the real question squishy. is would you eat them yes okay moving on to our next track <laughs> <laughs> noted my best friend is a monster well they're not, I don't know them 
I've never met them. They haven't communicated with me. I don't even know they can talk. I would just see weird space tentacle thing. I'd freak out and probably kill it in a panic. And then go, well, I am kind of hungry. He looks kind of squid-like. So <laughs> toss, him in the toss him in the skillet. See how it comes out. I could have invented an awesome delicacy that I could then sell for a I, fortune. I, yeah. Because there's only seven of them. <laughs> I can rash that out to the highest bidder. Space tentacle. You know those aliens are looking at us and being like, they have ten fingers. They don't need all of them. <laughs> yeah. Let's eat the rest of them. I guess it'll become a competition. Who's going to get taken out first? Mm. Humans for their ten fingers, or the squid creatures for their whatever, however many of them are tentacles. <laughs> Delicious. No, but seriously, we should watch that movie. It was it was really good. I think you'd I think you'd appreciate it. It's very uh, uh, science scientific. It could be one more scientific perspective. It'll just be one more I can check off of my infinite list of films I've never seen. I know I'm on the same same boat. We can just you know, whenever it's whenever you have time or looking for a movie to watch, we'll just put that on. Right. What's your third track? Well, the third track is actually going to be kind of a surprisingly challenging one to choose, but really? um, I want to go with... Actually, I'll ask for you to tell me. What do you think? Uh, Bossy-like or environmental-like? Well, we haven't heard any boss tracks, so let's get some boss tracks. Okay, in that case, I'll go with that one then. Was I being it's bossy just then? Was I being bossy? Yep. Oh. Yep. I, I, I kind of brought it on myself, so let's be <laughs> honest here. Um, but the track is from the game Metroid Prime, the first game. And the track title is Chozo Ghost Battle, composed by Kenji Yamamoto and Koichi Kiyuma. Back, you're listening to the Chozo Ghost Battle theme from the game Metroid Prime, composed by Kenji Yamamoto and Koichi Kiyuma. This track, to me, the other track for the record that I was considering choosing was Magmore Caverns, but this one is on my list for a very, very good reason. Aside from the fact that it just sounds genuinely awesome for a boss theme, it's pretty intense. But I love that beat. It's like that. It's it's that fast. That fast like sound that you get like from boss big classic video game boss music, but that beats like halftime. Mm -hmm. That boom 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 ba boom 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 ba. It's awesome. And I think that well, like the way you describe this happens a lot. I think you <laughs> haven't played the game, but you'll describe it in the way that is like so apropos. And in the case of this track, it is definitely intense. 
And I believe it's because the battle that you that it plays in is insanely intense too. So my memory of Metroid Prime is really loosey goosey. Fun fact, I've only played the first game, even though I own all three. But this game was heavily based around exploration. There's some action sequences where you're shooting out space pirates and aliens and junk, just like a normal Metroid game. But this specific battle is interesting to me. I don't remember a great deal about the why behind it, but I know that throughout the series, the Chozo birds are responsible for the ruins that contain all the different power-ups that Samus acquires throughout the series. If my memory is correct, I also want to say that they're the species that raised her as a kid. I know it was some sort of bird species, but I oh, might I, be I, wrong with Chozo. Oh, that's different. I, I didn't know that, that, that she was raised by, like, a bird people. Mm-hmm. She was raised by alien. Oh. Um, but for some reason in this particular scenario, you are fighting the ghost of, like, three or four different Chozos. And they, like, warp around the field. It's a very dark and grayish environment. And they disappear and disappear and they warp around and shooting lasers at you. And it's actually kind of scary sometimes. Like, if you're not, like, if you're doing it for the very first time and you don't know what to expect, it's pretty scary. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. So, in Metroid 1, there's those, um, those, like, statues that are holding the thing. Those are Chozo. Those are Chozo statues. And those, and those alien bird people are what raised Samus? Yeah, but like I said, anybody, if someone wants to, someone that's listening to the show wants to clarify, or I might just know it within like twenty minutes of the show, but they can let me know for sure. But I'm pretty sure that she was raised by chosen birds. Interesting. So, well, but I, I just I never made that that connection. To well, honestly, phone. I know about it mainly because, yep, I was right. It was the chosen who raised. Her. Yeah, but um, huh. so basically, hmm. I learned about it because. I recall Nintendo Power did a comic on Metroid years ago. They did a number of different video game-based comics. Mm. Metroid um, and Mario Brothers and Zelda, for example. But in those comics, they had like a whole number of chapters regarding Samus' upbringing with Chozos, which was actually pretty awesome for the time. Because oh, I had no idea. This was back when like Metroid, again, was just... If you weren't like reading a bunch of like manual lore... She was just a person who just landed in a space and was like, go kill some stuff. <laughs> you had no idea. There was no exposition yeah. in the game proper. So to have this comic that explained her childhood and all these awesome things, I think it was actually released with the, with the go along with the Super Metroid game. But um, yeah, it was just an awesome thing to learn all these details about Samus's life. So, but, yeah, this fight was ridiculous. <laughs> and I, it, I died here multiple times. Oh, yeah. I like I like it when, when boss fights are so difficult that you end up doing them over and over again. Mm-hmm. But it's not like so over the top difficult that like you'll never finish it. But like it just it what it does is it just drives you to get that perfect run and, and complete the battle. Oh yeah, like you like okay next time I got I I made a mistake here. Yeah, this time I won't yeah, I really do like that. that. And I also like boss battles that require you to solve a pattern, solve a puzzle. Like, okay, I can't hit this guy. He's invulnerable. Yes. Wait, he's got a hole in his diaper. If I just shoot him there, <laughs> you know, problem solved. Or if I can drop termites into his neck sack, or neck sack, everybody wins. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you see that as, like, completing a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do that, too. I like that. It's not, like, just an action. Like, just sometimes it is, like, just brute force, you know, just, like, to see if I can outlast... But most of the time, yeah, you're trying to solve a pattern. You're trying to figure it out and, and to and to do that to survive. Mm-hmm. I like that. All right, so my last track is from Metroid 2 Return of Samus yeah. for the Game Boy. And this is, I think this is my favorite Metroid track. 
Um, this is the one that really stuck out to me the most. Um, listening to it again and had a bit of nostalgia for me so I feel like even though I don't remember very well playing this as a kid I think I did so this is Surface of SR388 for Metroid 2 composed by Ryoji Yoshitomi This is the surface of SR388 from Metroid 2 Return of Samus for the Nintendo Game Boy composed by Ryoji Yoshitomi. This is a fantastic song. This is it's so good. It's it's adventurous. The the melody is very different without being overly atonal. It still has a lot of this kind of weird like this section right here. Duh, duh. Da, 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 da. Like it goes up. It's so so strange. And it has a back medley too. Yeah, there's a lot of like little backbeats and stuff going on. Da, 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 da. Oh, this track. I, I can talk about this track. I can just listen to this all day long. And this is another track that I feel is an awesome example because it how it's like how I mentioned the Chozo Ruins theme playing whenever you find a ruins environment. This was also sort of like a track that played only, well, like the title says, Surface of SR3D, so it plays on the surface, and also like the hub environment as you're going further and deeper and deeper into the planet. Because as you know, throughout the game, you are taking out multiple Metroids, and as you take out each Metroid, Rob is sitting here dancing with the cat, or making <laughs> the cat dance, rather, and it is hysterical, but the cat, I think, wants to kill him. <laughs> but the way it works is that, now the cat's here, um... <laughs> As you kill different, like, multiple Metroids for each sector, you ultimately, I don't know why they're related, but whatever. Mm -hmm. As you kill multiple Metroids, there's, like, a magma level that exists within the main hub that continues to, to recede, which allows you to go deeper and deeper to the planet. And whenever you are in that environment, this track plays. Oh, okay. And it's like, it, to me, it feels like 
the sound of advent of exploration. Yeah, yeah. You're going, what are where the next environment is? I was thinking like, yeah, this song sounds like like an adventure starting. So like you'd hear this like when a new area was like opening up to you, or you're you're digging digging further into the game. Yep, it is That's, where you land on the planet too. So yeah. it still it counts for the you know the beginning of an adventure. Yeah, and also like you said, you're you come you because whenever you kill the last Metroid for an area, the screen will vibrate and shake, which is the indication that magma's receding. Ah. So you run back out, and you're in the hub, and when you're into the hub, this kicks back in, and it's like, let's get digging. Very cool. Yeah, this is uh, that, I, that, the monkey. This is very, very successful, then. Very cool. It's a good track to a great game. Again, what happens in the era where you can get games with Kool-Aid points or UPC barcodes? <laughs> I want that era back for the kids. Yeah, we might not, we might not get that back for now. Sad. Miss it. Well, I feel lucky to have experienced that. Yeah. Oh, the other way is to get video games. Bottle, bottle, dome, bottle returns and can recycle. Yeah, yeah. They don't. They they certainly don't give out money. They don't give out, but they don't return cash like they used to on recycling. Yeah, I haven't tried in a while, but a part I've thought about trying it to see what the turnout is. Like, will I be able to get fifty bucks for taking in bags of aluminum cans? No. Unfortunately not for now. The highest yield <laughs> to over 200 bucks. Wow. For aluminum cans. Damn. That was a beast. Right. Pulling the track down. It is now time for the bonus round. Bonus round. Bonus round with a cat in my lap. <laughs> yeah, the cat. Uh, is the dog over there too? Yep. Wow. The dog is lying on my hoodie. You are just attracting all of my pets today. Just call me, just call me Animal Kingdom. I love that. I love that, Mr. Animal Kingdom. AK. <laughs> AK. The bonus round is the part of the show where we play covers and remixes based on the theme. And apparently, my, uh, my cat loves Metroid. He decided to come out and say hello. Cat loves me. He heard that, so you happens. know what he did? He heard that last song and was like, yeah, best ever. Mm-hmm. This cat... He knows what's up. All right, so um, what did you pick for your bonus track? Well, the theme of the episode was Metroid, so... that I, is, Yeah, that is our theme. So <laughs> I, it's funny that I was like, I'm going to see if I can stay away from the obvious Tim band of choice. Mm-hmm. And I tried to go a little different, which backfired, because it turns out that what I chose was from the solo album... The solo album of one of the members of the band Metroid Metal. Hmm. The artist's name is Stemage, S T E M A G E, and the track is just Crade's theme. Surprise, surprise! This is why I didn't choose a track from Metroid One was because this covers the bass quite nicely. So, we're talking Crade's theme slash Crade's hideout from the Metroid Metal album produced by Stemage.
And you have just listened to the track that I listened to probably 20 times today and yesterday. Mm. That track being Kraid's theme slash Kraid's hideout from the game Metroid, composed by Stemage of the band Metroid Metal. That was awesome. It's so freaking it's good. Really, I love that that middle section with the um had like a lot of reverb on the guitar. That was like really cool. It makes me wonder if I would have tired of it if this was in the game because I think it would be pretty awesome <laughs> to have some sort of like fan rebuild where they took Metroid or Metroid uh, or Super Metroid rather and used the this band's music or his personal music over <laughs> all the different environments. <laughs> that would be because again, this is a driving beat. So, Craze Hideout is pretty much the underbelly of Brinstar. You're you're going down specifically to find him there. I don't even think there's any power ups. I can't recall there being any power up items in the in the Brinstar in the hideout area. So it's just trying to get the craze. So this would be an awesome driving force to get you down there, mm-hmm. missile blasting, and back out and packing. It's a great, awesome track. I'm so glad I stumbled across it. Really cool. So I picked actually from the an album that we picked bef- I picked from before. This is called Chozo Legacy, um, an album that was um, put out there by the artist Blind, and it was all these insanely huge, heavy techno and dubstep kind of um, style remixes from all sorts of uh, games, uh, Metroid games. So this one is called the Ruby Catacombs.
So that was the Ruby Catacombs from the artist Blind off of his album Chozo Legacy. Chozo Madozo. Chozo Madozo. I once was blind, but I've listened to that track and now I see. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I, I had to throw that. <laughs> I felt it. Yeah, I've, I play a lot of his music. I'm not sure. I've not played a lot of his. I played a couple of his tracks on the show before, and they've they've always like they're very very lengthy, kind of like the, the long epic style like electronic tracks that you would, you know. You typically, I don't know. It's he has a style. <laughs> he has a style. And I like it a lot. But I, I like it every once in a while, and um, I love what he did with with the uh, the Metroid Metroid music. It's just very huge, very very big. So I like that stuff. Very wild. Very wide. Yeah, very big was, sound. It was lengthy too. Mm. I was able to read an entire article, two yes. articles <laughs> during that session. But it was good music, so it's yeah. just, it balances out. Yeah, you kind of just, just kind of jam out to it. So for more information on the artists in the bonus round part of the show, go to rhythmandpixels.com, and we'll have links to their SoundClouds, band camps, and everywhere you can go and buy their music and support these great artists. Thanks for joining us on episode 10-3 of Rhythm and Pixels. Our focus on Metroid. A surprisingly productive episode because... (laughs) Surprisingly productive. Yeah, I mean, I like Metroid games very, very much, and I like Metroid music very, very much, but when I think about what I remember about Metroid music, there's not a ton of it. I feel like there are very specific themes that stuck with me forever, and then there's a bunch... The majority mm-hmm. has just been music. It was just music that played during the games, and it didn't follow me outside of the envi- of the experience. It yes, was like it was good for the environment. It was good for while I was playing it, but then I walked away. Yeah, the the majority of music for me was not memorable, so it was hard for me to. I mean, that wasn't hard. It was easy for me to pick out the songs that I liked because there was little of it. But Metroid One and Metroid Two were the ones that had the majority of the stick with you tunes. Like like as you noted when we were last playing the Chozo Rules, she's like, You singing that? How do you know them? Like, yeah, I was I, really surprised by that. Definitely. Like, I remember it. Like that was for me that was an iconic one. Mm-hmm. And also the uh the Crate Hideout theme was memorable to me. And even a bit of Brinstar is memorable to me. But the rest I'd know it if I heard it. But you won't get me to be like, oh yeah, the do 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 do. I won't know. I couldn't tell you. I think that's just how Metroid worked out for me, and maybe that's also just more reason for me to maybe consider revisiting the games again. Mm. Possibly starting with Samus Returns. As I, you are listening to this episode, I might be playing it already. Oh, that's right. That's that's coming out. That that will be out by the time we're talking about this. Yeah. Very cool. Well, um, if you would like to get in touch with us and. Um, maybe comment on the show or give us a special uh, message, words of wisdom. Um, if you want to give your phone number to Pernell. Pernell, what is our email address? Rhythmandpixels at hotmail.com. 
And um, if you would like more information about the show and a full track listing, go to the website, rhythmandpixels.com. Um, we're also pretty active on the social media outlets. So check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and on YouTube. It's Rhythm and Pixels, all one word. And if you're feeling uh, generous, if you like the show and you want to help support us, go to patreon.com slash rhythmandpixels. We always do appreciate that. And we would also like to thank our um, Patreon patrons. We have Alex the Messenger, Henrik Anderson, Chris Murray, Michael Bridgewater from the Forever Sound Version podcast, and Brian Pitt. You guys are all superb, wonderful individuals. And also, over the course of doing this show, come to call you friends too, which is kind of nice. Yeah, it is nice. Um, um, you know, you don't have to be a Patreon member to to you know uh, uh, be active members or active uh, participants of the show. Just you know, just just get in contact with us. We're we're always we're, our ears are to the ground, and we're always willing to discuss you know things. And as much as we share music with you guys. It's always awesome when fans listen to the show and say, you know what really, I think you guys might really like this crazy tune. Here's why. Because I ain't gonna lie, I'll be at work some days and that message will pop up. So I'm like, hey, you should check out this track. I'm like, ooh. And it, you get excited because someone recommended something to you to listen to. It's yeah. The other way around. It feels kind of nice. So by all means, drop us some lines on the, on the, on the Facebook group or in the Twitter page. So. Well, I also want to put out there um, that in October, October 14th and 15th, Purnell and I will be in Hartford, Connecticut, in the Connecticut Convention Center for the third Retro World Expo. And I think we'll be there with Mike and Ed from Pixel Tunes Radio mm-hmm. and Keyglyph from VGM Jukebox. It will be a jam, and we'll be all hanging out. We'll be. Uh, I think we're, we're. I think we're doing a panel together. So f- we're doing a panel with a light dose of competition. A yes. competition we will win, but that's that's <laughs> another story. Right. Uh, fun times. So if you want to come and say hi, we'll be there. And then in November, we're going to be at Thy Geekdom Con, November fourth and fifth in Wilmington, Delaware, um, our home base. And so we'll, we'll actually be doing an episode an episode of this show with a topic which we need to figure out we'll find out it will be we'll be very close to our 100th episode so we'll do something we'll figure we'll figure that out then i actually have an idea for me, but I'll bring it <laughs> okay well we've got to discuss that before you go um so anyway this has been the rhythm and pixels video game music podcast my name is rob nichols and i'm pernell and thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful week and remember this episode was about Metroid, so I really don't have anything themed for it. But uh, be careful s- in space. No one can hear you suffocate. Don't step on aliens. Don't eat them. Don't whiz on the electric fence. Don't step <laughs> on your co-host's toes when he's doing his thing. Too late. <laughs> but I will say this, though, just because it makes sense. Uh, and I think it's funny all things considered how we led the episode in. But and it's, it's really hard sometimes to comfortably be yourself when you're surrounded in a world that is shouting different things to you from numerous directions about the kind of person you're supposed to be or the kind of person you have to be. It's totally okay to take on certain traits if they are traits that you are comfortable with in, in you know, taking on yourself and enveloping but or taking on yourself. But there is no reason whatsoever for you to completely become someone that does not represent who you want to be for the sake of others. 
be you as you want to be. Learn, change, evolve, and grow. But don't don't lose the person that you were always that you always have been. You are a special person for a reason, and that's freaking awesome. And I guess this does have much revelation. I guess because Samus never forgot she came from bird people. She never forgot she was raised by birds. <laughs> Alien space birds. That's cool, too. I, love <laughs> I just, I love how it lasts. It makes sense. It does fit. Are you like waiting for me to talk? Because I'm not going to. You should. Too late. Busted. Uh, Good night, guys. Good night.